Hello, welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, the sequel to the 2005 film Fantastic Four. Both films are based on the Fantastic Four comic book and were directed by Tim Story. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. 2007, uh, before the MCU launch. The Fox properties were in a pretty good stage uh, uh, place at the time. Well, X-Men you're saying was doing that. Fairly well. They just had Electra two years earlier because that was 2005 the same year as fantastic four two years before yeah. that they had daredevil which admittedly i do like that film but yeah they did have a decent run and i thought it very timely for us to review this movie we've got the new title of deadpool 3 which is deadpool and wolverine and just seeing that trailer, there's that action sequence, and in the background, there's the big 20th Century Fox sign. So they're obviously doing something fun there. Jennifer Garner is confirmed to be in the movie as Electra. Yeah. So I think with everything that's happening, you know, with the Fox Marvel films wrapping up, I thought it's about time. We reviewed this movie because I went back and checked. I knew that we did review the first movie. But I couldn't remember when. It was August 2021. Yeah. A while ago. It was a while ago. And it was episode 118. So it definitely was a while ago because this (laughs) is episode 271. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a minute. Been a minute. Um, This one... This was big. They they were talking before the launch of this, like Silver Surfer, um, famous, famous story from Fantastic Four, issue 48. Um, you know, you're talking Silver Surfer's uh, introduction, talk of Galactus, um, and they were going to spin this off. It, uh, the it, rumors were into a solo Silver Surfer film once this had aired and once they assumed it had been a hit. And it never came, in fact, until they tried a reboot. There were no more Fantastic Four movies after this one. Uh, And I think it might have been the reason why it's been up until now, literally, what, a week ago, that they've finally gotten around to announcing an MCU Fantastic Four cast. Like, that's a... That's a. I don't blame this movie at all. I don't blame this movie at all because even myself as a comic book reader, and uh, hearing other people involved in comic books when it comes to the FF, they're like, man, they are. They've never been strong sellers. Not since this the all the stuff with Silver Surfer and that kicked off, you know, because. They this the FF launched Marvel as we know it today. Stanley, you know the story. I know the story. Was going yeah. to quit. He had it. He wanted to be an actual proper like American author doing like novels. And his wife said, "Well, if you're going to quit anyway, 
want you to try something uh, that you would write without the editor's approval and take a swing for it, swing for the fences. And the Fantastic Four was what he wrote. Um, and it was such a massive success. It followed, was followed up by Spider-Man and Iron Man and uh, the X-Men and all of the other men <laughs> and the Avengers and everything else that followed, which is the Monday MCU. Um, but essentially it is a family melodrama um, in the style of like 80s, almost sitcoms, like modern family. And they did try this on TV around the time uh, of doing a Fantastic Four style family sitcom. Ah, do you um, know I what? Watched it. Yeah. It did no, have Michael Chiklis in it. I was going to say, yeah. No Ordinary Family. I watched yeah. every single episode and for what it was, I enjoyed it. Look at The Incredibles. That is yeah. a really good Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the that's the best Fantastic Four movie they ever made. Absolutely, and it proves the premise works. It does. It really does. Hopefully, MCU can get it right. But obviously, we're going to review this movie. We've reviewed the first one already. There's definitely things to like about that first movie. The timing was off though, because Marvel is like, "Hey, we've got the Fantastic Four. It's good family fun." And then DC are like, we've got Batman Begins, and it just That's changed. Super serious. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it changed everything. Dark. So the timing was all off. So Marvel's like, hey, we've got Electro, we've got Fantastic Four, and then Batman Begins happened. You mentioned the Fantastic Four reboot, uh, 2015. That didn't go to number one. No. Fast forward, Madam Web. Also didn't go to number one. All the Marvel films in between went to number one. Yeah. Shows like one fantastic four can be a tough premise, but also it, it's what take, what style you're telling it in and when you're releasing it and where the market's at. Adam Webb sent out to die really. Uh, uh, on Valentine's Day, as everyone knows, that's like there's exceptions. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule where something they release something on that date and it just clicks with people. Uh, we mentioned before we went on air, Deadpool, the first Deadpool came out and Valentine's Day and worked they, because it was just they, a well done film. I know, but also they had fun with the marketing as well. Like they jokingly yeah. advertised it as a date movie. You know, yeah. a few of the, the TV spots presented it in that light, but we all knew, obviously, that's what what it wasn't going to be. But, you know, I don't know, a romantic comedy. Put one of them out of Vantaz Day, maybe something like, just like Sydney Sweeney movie, obviously not Madam Web, the other one. Anybody, is it yeah. anybody or anyone but you? Yeah. Uh, that's and doing that's pretty well. That style of a mid-2000s rom-com with... Uh, is it Glenn Howerton from uh, Top Gun Gl Maverick? Uh, Glenn Powell. So Powell, he, yeah, yeah. Uh, so plays Hangman. That's fine. Yeah, that's uh, oh man, Top Gun Maverick. Love that film. But yeah, anyone but you. That's um, that's doing doing well. But it's anyway. We're, we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Marvel. This film was released on June fifteenth, two thousand and seven, to generally mixed reviews and grossed over. 
301 million worldwide, but earned less than its predecessor, which grossed 333.5 million worldwide. A third film was planned, but ultimately cancelled. Obvious reasons. We mentioned the reboot already. That was released to poor critical and commercial reception. And Marvel Studios eventually reclaimed the film rights of the characters along with the X-Men and Deadpool after the acquisition of 20th Century Fox by Disney. So that's why all these characters are now coming into the fold. But yeah, looking at the budget between 120 and 130 million by today's standards. A lot for them, but today's standards. But I mean, 301.9. I say. 80 million to 100 million. So, which I, I know, talk about but this I, a lot. the creator, yeah, costs 80 million, which is incredible. Gareth Edwards filmed that in a very guerrilla style. I actually watched him break it down uh, in the last few days online, going behind the scenes. And he, he was like, if you build a set for a green screen, uh, there's minimum fifty thousand for the four, the four set, and the rest of it's just the lighting behind there. Uh, he's like probably looking more towards eighty, a hundred thousand. Well, you know what? For less than eighty thousand, I can go on location with a small crew and small cameras and like portable lighting, and get the shots on location, and then have the digital artists paint in what I want using the information gathered on 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 uh site with inspiration of like you know they had their like a guy's drawing up like you know what we could fit in here and they draw it up on site to fit the places they essentially location scouting as they were filming wow um over 80 shots of that film in the philippines in thailand alone which is more than any movie previously but that's because of how cheap it was to do that instead of building sets. Uh, and that's how they, one of the ways they kept the budget down. Um, but, and it worked amazingly. You're talking then 130 million is pretty big money. As you said, these days they're routinely 200, 250, yeah. 300. Yeah. Uh, in it- fact, that was, that was the last year we had, I think, the average movie of this type's budget was between 250 and 300 million before advertising. That is a lot of money to make back. That was more than this money. This is almost more than this, what it made back globally. That was a movie that cost did, a third as much. It did make money though. Well, not a lot, admittedly, but if you're looking at the box office return, critically, it hurt it. Like it really did hurt, and and the runtime on this movie, I think it's like ninety minutes. And I was looking an hour and thirty three minutes. There we go. And I was looking at the original, which as a refresher, I watched it again ahead of the rewatch for this movie. That's like hundred minutes. Yeah. So both yeah. of them are relatively short for what they are. Madam Web, closer to hours. That is a longer yeah. movie, but it's also an origin. But saying that, the first Fantastic Four being an origin. It was a super power movie. Like you had a lot of powers, a lot of set pieces. There's there is that in Madam Web, but not to the same standard. Like this movie is like the comic. It really is like the comic, which obviously is a big 
complement, like the dynamic with the characters is there. But then visually, for the most part, the Silver Surfer looks really cool. I mean, they really dropped the ball with Galactus because they they based it on the Ultimate Comics version where it was just this big gas cloud. And it's yeah, just... I actually, ha- not I actually have a, a little uh, behind-the-scenes peek at that. It was going to be a man. And that's initially who Lawrence Fishburne was cast to voice. Then they went the other direction to make him the cloud version uh, because they thought a large man wouldn't make sense. Uh, I think Thanos for the MCU has proved them more than like wrong on that point. Uh, but also it, it, he was very happy to step down to Silver Surfer because he's a more interesting character anyway. He's had a win there, but yeah, that decision to go for the cloud, which I think this era of movie that was a trope almost of like, oh, this uh, this big amorphous cloud is your villain. Uh, Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds did this parallax, and I swear there were others. And this is also where the sky beam uh, trope started as well, where generally speaking, not this one, but other films uh they defeated said amorphous cloud with a something that shot a beam of light into the sky it was <laughs> incredibly common yeah uh in fact that sky beam thing still hasn't ended like we still get that from time to time <laughs> so it's definitely a kind of a product of the era unfortunately it really is I mean, tim story did do a good job with that first movie he's back for this sequel, outside of Fantastic Four, he's best known for Barbershop, which came out in 2002, the Ride Along franchise, Ice Cube, Kevin Hart. He recently had The Blackening, the horror comedy movie, which, you know, did did really well. And, um, you know, he wanted Damon Honosu to play Black Panther in a third Fantastic Four film. That's that would have worked really well. Would have been cool. I mean, he went on to play a role in the first Guardians movie, is the Wizard in Shazam. But wow, at one time he could have been Black Panther, who he actually did go on to voice in the animated series in 2010. But I think that was the animated series where they adapted the comic. So it was a lot of still images. Stanley, yeah, the motion the comic. That's yeah. right, motion comic. Yeah, so there we go. But, uh, but yeah, Tim Story, you know, I think he did do a good job with with his movies. And again, like it did feel like the source material. It wasn't fantastic for light. It's what I knew the characters to be like visually. The costumes I do like. We don't get the central four on the outfit. It's to the side, but, you know, it, uh, it works. But, you know, the cast are back from that first movie and... All four members of the Fantastic Four, I think, were cast really well. But it wasn't until today that I realised the actor playing Reed Richards, I have been pronouncing his name wrong forever. Yeah, I, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. So well, I, I... I do I do now, right? and I'm going to tell you, it is not how okay. it looks. It is Yoan Griffith. Okay, very uh, 
very Welsh. <laughs> well, well, that's it. And honestly, I'm looking at it written down, and I think I'd been saying Lone Grufford, <laughs> like, yeah. which is I, I, I've which is been wrong. calling him basically Ian Gruffled because that's <laughs> that's the best my brain can can could have pieced together. But yeah, uh, so it is. Yeah, Yoan and. I guess the the U the U's in his surname are pronounced as I's and if for the D's. Anyway, but that's yeah. that is the correct pronunciation. Yoan Griffith. There you yeah, go. Who uh I think he's pun intended a fantastic Reed Richards. Uh he's got the right seriousness, but but he can loosen up. He does have great chemistry with the other actors. He's serious in the way I like, um, because for those of us who read the comics, Mr. Fantastic's not a superhero. He's a scientist first, an intellectual first, and then a family man, and then superhero comes like fourth or fifth. There's a because there's thing there's a lot more on his plate that he he his energy is focused on. Um. Which is why I think that when you're casting actors, that's how they should think of it. I think that's one thing that Tim Story got absolutely correct. Uh, you want a leading man more, and we would again, we we're talking about this beforehand uh, from the romantic comedy um, period drama school. All of those things, Yohan is absolutely like you uh, just described his his work. Outside of yeah. the films. <laughs> that is what exactly. he does. And I think it's why I have such fond memories of him from for these for this character and from these films. Uh and the chemistry with the main four cast is great. Uh Jessica Alba was the hottest thing on the planet at the time. Um she was wearing a wig in this one. Uh the bleaching of her hair for the first movie really did a number. <laughs> Because yeah, she has yeah. very dark hair naturally, and so bleaching it blonde was a whole process, especially because you have to do touch-ups uh, continually to keep the roots and everything uniform, uh, especially a shade against her like quite tan skin. Um, but she's her acting isn't as good as it in this one, uh, which I didn't notice until I was watching it and saw a, a, a quote where she was told to be more wooden. This was a studio note. Yes. Because I, I she wasn't as that. attractive in her crying scenes and having to scrunch her face for the actual acting part of her acting job. Uh, and they yeah, thought well, it was yeah. more appealing for her to always basically look like a mannequin. Which well, I'm like, the, feed, oh, man. the feedback, which came from, from the director, who asked her to cry pretty as he thought it looked too real and too painful, and even said that they can just add CGI tears. See, if I'm yeah. hurt as an actor, I'm like, oh, okay, so right, you just want me to stand here and look pretty? Is is that it? Yeah, yeah. You don't want me. To, we, I mean, I, I can. You want me to be Barbie? I you can want me to be Barbie and act this out. <laughs> I could. I can give you tears. No, yeah. no, no, no. We've got. We've got a. No, we can do it at the computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you just stand there, read the lines, and look uh, pretty, honey. Like, please do that. Like, so, all right, whatever. Uh, 
Yeah, I I get it's it. It's a shame because, like you said, she was doing the role, which he admitted, like you're doing a good job, too good. Yeah, be more. It's just hard. More pretty. It's hard to put the criticism just at her, just knowing what was happening behind the scenes. Yeah, and yes, the, her, her performance. Like, how do you keep? Yeah. Her performance is different than it was in that first movie. I mean, someone who is just bringing it again, Michael Chiklis, and his oh, his chemistry so with Yoan, like you really believe Reed and Ben are childhood friends, and that the relationship yeah. they have, like they sold it in that first movie, it carries over here. I mean, good news for Chiklis, the prosthetics that he was having to wear, um, it didn't take as long. Was more comfortable, easier more to refined. Remove. That's Looks it. Like, it does look better. Like they, he's got a more defined brow in in this movie. So he's more in line. More comic comics. accurate. Yeah, it was just a bit maybe too round. Like just yeah, like a bowling ball head in that yeah. first one. But there's added yeah. that more definition uh, to his brow. So that's um, that's good. But he's he's great. Yeah, he's chewing the scenery. As someone who loves what he's doing, and uh, that's infectious, and it works because, I mean, his catchphrase is "it's clobbering time." It's not like, "Okay, people, let's calm down and have a <laughs> word out." No, no, no. It's like, "I want to slug you," yeah. and then or and deliver a one line while I'm doing it. Like that's 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 my love in this world, and he embodies it, like mind, body, soul. I mean, he was into it. Like the excitement when he was casting that first movie and then coming back for this one, like, you know, it was it was clearly into it. What's really noticeable with this sequel, even though there's four making up the team, there's a lot more Johnny Storm in this. Like he gets to do a lot more. It's like somebody at the studio is really noticing Chris Evans this time around. And he's definitely getting to do a lot more and he's the one that you know when you've got like the big fight is like he's got all the powers of the fantastic four which is very much in line with super school from the comics but it's yeah. like there's four team members and johnny storm i got this and he's yeah. the one that goes up and yeah yeah i remember hearing i'm not sure how accurate this is for the, the second movie that tim's story when it came to chris evans was like I basically cast the Human Torch. He was so perfect. So other than the odd line where I needed him to deliver some jargon, that was had to be scripted. The rest of it was all ad lib, and he was that good. It was ninety percent of his lines were ad libbed by Chris Evans, except for the jargon he needed for playing uh, the Human Torch. Yeah, and again, seeing his chemistry with everyone, believe it. Like it watching it this time having seen Chris Evans in so many things since and interviews and that kind of thing. I'm like, he really does feel like, like unrestrained Chris Evans in terms of like, he turned up on set. He's having a great time. He's just like, yeah, we'll do this. Whatever. This is great. Uh, cheesing it up again. Like totally and it, it fits, but I, I get, yeah. I get what you're saying. It's like, this is still not another teen movie. Chris Evans. You know, it's that- yeah, young, young, like twenty something Chris Evans, who's just like, like I'm in the superhero movie. This is the best thing ever. And that's like when he was first cast as Captain America. Like I remember at the time, I was thinking, ah, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio, someone like that would be really good. 
And then what? They've cast the Human Torch. How's how is that going to work? Yeah, and obviously we yeah, knew it wasn't going to be the same continuity, but still, just from seeing him in this, to then oh, he's going to be Steve Rogers. But of course, he absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah, he he is Captain America. Um, but yeah, this definitely feels like young Chris Evans uh, being Chris Evans. It's exactly the right energy. Um, uh, it's 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 really hard because I can see how easily character could be overdone because if you don't have chemistry with your co-stars and you just especially in today's thing with the social media and like i could imagine studios and that writing him in a way that'd be like like a twitch streamer yep you're like "Ah, i don't want to see that i really don't want to see that like that's one it dates you immediately to where you are um secondly that they they come off as obnoxious. Johnny is not obnoxious. He's overly confident, maybe overly compensating. Yeah. But he, I, I, but he's also the younger brother to Sue. He's the less mature one, but he also has a lot of heart, which is why he's Spider Man. It's best friend in the comic books. For those of you who don't know, there's Harry Osborn is his best friend, and his best superhero friend is Johnny Storm, which goes back to Spider Man issue one. Like from, yeah, like from like so, which is the energy? They're like not too separated by age, um, which I think probably works in favor now with the way they've got Tom Holland. If they continue with that, like if you if they if they get Tom Holland and new fantastic and new Human Torch to share some screen time, if they have got chemistry, oh, it can be magic. Yeah, absolutely. Julian McMahon is back as Victor Von Doom. I thought he was fine in that first movie, and he's fine again here, I guess. I mean, the studio hated Doctor Doom's makeup, which is why he remains hidden under a cowl in most of his early scenes. But when we do get to see his mask, it was redesigned to make it closer to the comics. But he got to do, as Victor Von Doom, he got to do a lot more in that first movie. Where he's, yeah, yeah, because he's the main villain. His yeah. rise is happening at the same time as theirs. He's getting a lot of screen time. Whereas this, he comes in, he's smarmy Julian McMahon, and then he does backstab and he's off doing his thing. And you're like, he wants his powers for himself. He's, I mean, he does recognize that he's getting his powers from the board. So he does, he does a thing. But there's yeah, not no... comic accurate. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will say never been comic accurate. But they're having to use Doctor Doom here because they've got a big cloud in the sky. <laughs> they don't have a big talking head, literally. So they don't. Yeah. So they... okay. So who else can can be involved? So I mean, yeah, it, it's disappointing to be honest. I did generally like him in that first movie, and he's doing nothing wrong in this. He's just not got enough to to work with he's yeah he's surplus the story requirements basically um which i'm wondering if you know for the trilogy they had something more planned with him like if they're gonna bring in black panther were they thinking doing a latveria versus kind of thing for the third film maybe they've done that in the comics as well uh Uh, it's worked very well in the uh the avengers earth's mightiest heroes cartoon it was phenomenal 
Um, so it, did they want to keep him in people's minds because they otherwise had been too far between thoughts? Maybe. Might be a contractual obligation thing. Either way, like you said, I think he was not bad, just, just uh, uh, underused. I mean, Kerry Washington is back as Alicia Masters. And again, like this movie, I mean, such a short runtime, especially, you know, for a superhero blockbuster. She's pretty much there just to show you another side of Ben Grimm. That's yeah. She doesn't get to do too much. So at least that first movie, you got the introduction, you got them starting a relationship. Whereas it's good that she's back. You know, obviously she does play a part, but it's mainly just to drive on, drive Ben's story forward. Yeah, which is a shame because again, with the original story, it is. Alicia Masters, who reaches Silver Surfer and convinces him humanity's worth saving because this blind woman, someone who should be vulnerable and weak and like terrified because she can't see he's different, she treats him the way she treats everyone. And he's touched by how like amazing that is. And they give that. To, to Sue Storm, which I understand again for contra- for like runtime purposes and all of and that, but it, yeah. it leaves her, like you said, her character with nothing more to do. Um, and it, it annoyed me as a fan of the original story. I'm like, uh, it's, it's never sat right with me. Again, I understand everything why they did the way they did for like, it's like when you adapt the story and there's like, you know, the book. And there's like three or four side characters. And you're like, you know what? The audience doesn't need to know about all of these. Let's roll all those into one. The same thing here. Like, uh, yeah, we could do that, but we need to figure then refigure a reason why she's there when the silver surface there, why the silver surfer is interacting with this woman at all. I'm like, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. The but movie, it, it is unfortunate. It it doesn't have time. Honestly, I remember the first trailer for this movie, and I thought, do you know what? That looks bloody great. You had Andre Brower, and like, wow, it just, you know, everything just looked like it had been stepped up a level, like from that first movie. We got a different movie, but there's still elements, and one of those elements that is really strong for me is Andre Brower as General Hager. And he's got he's got a history with Reed, um, which which was interesting, and just getting to know a bit more about Reed ahead of him being a member of the Fantastic Four. But when I was looking into it for this, what I thought was really interesting, originally, Nick Fury was going to be in this film, but it was written out of the script and replaced with General Hager. Fury would, of course, eventually appear in the MCU opposite Chris Evans, who played Steve Rogers, Captain America. Could we have had Andre Brower as the first Nick Fury? I mean, after David Hustle, obviously, in that movie that he did. Possibly, and I think he could have pulled it off, but I'm glad they didn't. For one, it allowed for most people uh, that role to be owned by Samuel Jackson. Uh, And also, the Fantastic Four not being related, having ties with Nick Fury kind of works a little bit better for me because they're not the same. Oh, that's true. You know they're uh, they're the the they're the first family. They're like everyone knows them. They're like up there, and also 
the way he's uh Reed stands up for himself against General Hager multiple times. I'm like, Nick Fury won't take that. That's not a Nick Fury playbook. Um point. you know, it's interesting though. Reed's speech to Hager about being a good little nerd is taken nearly verbatim from Ultimate Extinction issue two, where he was speaking to Nick Fury. So there's that little element in there, you know, so that's um, that's pretty interesting. Uh, Andre Brower, he actually dropped out of an ER supporting role to be cast in this film, so I'm glad that he passed on on that job. You mentioned already Lawrence Fishburne originally was going to be providing the voice for Galactus, uh, but then switched to Silver Surfer when it was decided to make Galactus a a mute and Doug, then, and the body, Doug Jones. Going to say Doug Jones as the body of Abe Sapien himself. <laughs> oh, I know. And Saru in Star Trek. Saru, yeah, the most important for Discovery. us. <laughs> yeah, you know, originally, Silver Surfer was going to say, "Come to me, my board." Oh. Perhaps, because it was considered unnecessary. I disagree. <laughs> I do as well. That should have absolutely. It cost them nothing to have. Uh, yeah. Say to that. Give that tip of the hat to the fans. Also, in a movie where they had the Fantastic Car, what it was, what too corny? No, no, it wasn't. Oh, they had the Fantastic Car. The Fantastic Car. Oh, honestly, I I never get tired of seeing it. You know, efforts were made to keep it under wraps. They kept it out of all the promotional material so that it would be a pleasant surprise for fans. And it absolutely was. Fantastic Car first appeared in Fantastic Four issue three, March 1962. So it's a mainstay. Issue three of the comic. That's when we first got it. So glad yeah. that we got it in this movie. It looks incredible. They teased it a bit early on. Johnny went to have a look. Reads like it's something I'm working on. Oh, absolutely Love seeing that. So on Silver Surfer, the look, it was Doug Jones wearing a prosthetic suit developed by Spectral Motion and a new VFX program from Weta Digital, which augmented the Surfer's reflective surface. You know when he's depowered and he's yep. it's like a marble silver... I thought yeah, good. with like a, a deep blue kind like of Like a deep blue, it. like a matte. I thought that looked pretty cool, but obviously, you know, they make him all silver. But I thought that was a that was a decent look. But they, you know, by having Lawrence Fishbone as the voice, the body of the silver surfer, Doug Jones. Like again, like there's so many things about this movie. It's like that's fantastic. That is yeah, yeah. really, really good. Yeah, it is. And Overall, I do enjoy it. Um, when you get to like the end sequence and they're on the street, my well-trained eye now spots that's clearly a, a, a backlot somewhere. In fact, it looks remarkably like the backlot from the end of the first Doctor Strange movie. Ah, oh, uh, right. Uh, supposed to be you know, in southern China, whereas in Doctor Strange, I think it's Chinatown. Uh, but... Uh, for the, some of the weaknesses, I, I still enjoy it. I think everyone's really working. Uh, the, the Silver Surfer's done well. Um, it's, the, it's the Galactus Cloud stuff, mostly, that bugs me on his side. Um, and the... That's it, really. And the fact that his power comes from his board. 
which again yeah. in the comics he's had Doctor Doom has stolen the power cosmic from the Silver Surfer before. So none of this is new to me, and it's never been enough to really annoy me. But it has been a consistent thing of like oh, I wish they had figured out a way to do that better. But you got an hour and a half. You don't have a lot of fat I to, know. to work in here. It's so short. Oh, you know, we do get a fun Stan Lee cameo as a rejected wedding guest. Yeah. That was um yeah. that was pretty pretty fun. So you've got Stan Lee as a guest who has refused entry to the fantastic wedding. This is taken from an issue of the 1960s comic where at Reed Richards and Sue Storm's wedding, Stan Lee and series artist Jack Kirby are turned away from the wedding in a blatant breaking of the fourth wall, which was very rare in the mainstream Marvel Comics universe at the time. So that's yeah. that's pretty cool. He got to do that scene in in live action. Yeah. Oh, mate, the dance sequence. You know, we're talking about the special uh, effects. I hate it. The CGI <laughs> I think has it, unfortunately dated quite poorly. It's bad. It's bad. But get this right. So the dance sequence, it was the first visual effects scene done. It was visualized on October 2006 and completed in May 2007. What the hell? <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. It's yeah. such a bad... Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's such a, a bad visual. It really is. It's creepy. Yeah. Looks bad. It is also, unfortunately, exceptionally normal for the time. All, and, all fabric and skin tony stuff at the time always looked bad the only thing they'd ever really truly nailed at the time was the was metal and wood and things of that nature um even when the the, the boat freezes in tokyo yeah in the water uh, in front of mount fuji at the time i remember that looking phenomenal now i look at it, i'm like that's clearly rotoscope to people standing on a on a set my eye can catch it these days because the render looks like they pause, pressed pause on a scene. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't, that, that's dated poorly. Like small, minute things that would, they would have, uh, they would have improved on these time, these days. But again, that's the special effects of the era. They, they didn't have the, the same processing power as they do now. The composer for this film is John Ottman. He is best known for collaborating with director Brian Singer, composing and or editing many of his films, including Public Access in 93, The Usual Suspects in 95, Superman Returns in 2006, Valkyrie 2008, Jack the Giant Slayer 2013. Wow, he really did compose all his movies, as well as the X-Men film series. For his yeah. work on Singer's 2018 Queen biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody, Ottman won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing. There you go. And that movie started as a Brian Singer film. And I'm pretty sure, was it Dexter Fletcher? He came on board and finished and actually directed that movie. It was a bit of a mess behind the scenes. All I remember was the marketing and I th even the, the award stuff, they said, the director of they never named because the stuff happening with Brian Singer at the time 
uh, they didn't want his name associated with it. But I think he'd been involved too much that they couldn't legally remove him. Yes, he's still, he's still, yeah, he's still, they can't say like the director and this guy because I think there's a, there's with the rules of filming, film uh, making and directing and stuff, uh, there was a percentage you have to cross to be able to use the name. Uh, and they didn't pass that. It's like one of those weird, like inside baseball things of like, like until you get to like, 34% or like, for example, something weird like that, something really like, or, or like you have to have uh, directed more than 40% of the movie to be able yeah. to put your name like directed by the end. Um, so yes, but anyway, how I, they determine how much that is, I'm sure yeah. is like, again, like some creative accounting, but it was the point where they had to remove his name from, uh, from the, from all the queen stuff in order yeah, to right. not, they him and they couldn't just be it was actually directed by this guy it's the same thing with um joss Whedon with justice league most of it had been done by Zack snyder yeah and he came in to like do reshoots and the final edit and he was like do not put my name on this movie although that didn't turn out well for him either uh but, but this yeah, is but supposed to be you're gonna say yeah yeah this is supposed to be about john Ottman. i just didn't realize professionally how interwoven he was with brian singer like and he's great i i really i love his uh superman returns work um, yes even yep. though there's a lot of john williams in there his hell of a his lot compositions yep. but as and some of his, and his original pieces especially the um uh the part where um superman well, flies up into orbit yeah yep. that that one specifically, phenomenal piece of music he he composed for that. The X Suite is like iconic. Oh, absolutely um, X Suite. But with the with the shuttle though, like yes, you've got the Williams motif, but everything else that's around it, and then the the theme that he wrote for Clark and his son Jason, yeah, that it really does stand out. But I've got that being another singer movie in 2010. He composed The Losers. Also starring Chris Evans. Ah, yeah. But that, I'm trying to think, what else has he done without Brian Singer? I'm only thinking of The Losers, but I'm sure there's there's things that he's done. There must be, because so many movies come out every year. You can't use just Hans Zimmer and Danny Elfman for everything. Like, I mean, it feels like Michael Giacchino. It feels like they do. It feels like they do. But I got like John Ottman, I, I definitely rate up there um, with current uh, composers. And... I've had to this have a look. This is a good score. I say, I, yeah. I've had to have a look. What has he done outside of Singer? He, what did he work on? He's got some uncredited work on the movie Stardust, which is the Matthew Vaughan movie. Uh, yeah, okay. So he has worked on some some other things. Oh, The Nice Guys, Shane Black. That is a fantastic I love film. that movie so much. Me too. I, I, yeah, it is. A fantastic film. So there you go. He has done films outside of working with Brian Brian Singer. Yeah, um, but yeah, his work on this uh, is really good. I can't. I can. I can almost. I can almost whistle it. I, my, the notes aren't quite there, even though I've only watched it like in the last few days. But at the time, I thought it was good. Uh, it's. It never failed to disappoint. Uh, and I do think he's a really solid uh, composer. 
Yeah, me um, too. And most importantly, which I, I like to bring up for any any uh, music for a film work, it never ever drew me out. Even even stuff I've watched that's been made in the last six months or released in the last six months, like whether it be TV or film, I've watched them when something's clearly inserted, and I'm like, ah, what what is that? What, where did that come from? That's pulled me right out of what I was watching. That's horrible. Why did they put that in there? Um, whether it was a pop song or something composed, um, usually I'm going to be honest. It's usually uh, some like uh, already existing music that's been inserted heavily, uh, but there's none of that in these movies. Everything fits exactly where it should, and the fact that he's like won an Oscar for his sound editing speaks to his talent. Um, uh, yeah, well, he's both a composer and a film editor. So he actually edit, he edits the films as well. So not just working on the um, score, but yes, very talented guy. But all right then, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, if you're going to rate it out of five. I'm, I'm going to come in at a three and a half out of five. Um, I can't quite give it a solid four because of some of the weaknesses. Um, Cloud Galactus is always going to bug me. Um, the the fact that Doctor Doom really didn't have a lot to do, he was superfluous to the deeds of the script, um, has always uh, slightly irritated me, and the dating of special effects. Um, not in a huge way, like that initial opening sequence with the Silver Surfer going through New York and like like shimmering through the building and the way he he, I've always loved when he disappears through the board and like turns around and looks back at Johnny even now it looks phenomenal I mean Weta know how to do what they do um but it's just a few other little bits and pieces the tone I enjoy I'm not I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna knock anything off the tone but yeah probably a three and a half out of five how about yourself yeah and what you said with the tone I think it fits like it really fits these these two films yeah, and it's not a negative like The Incredibles. It's the tone I would associate with the Fantastic Four. The you you have to earn their their more serious stories, um, their more like punchy stories, and they always work better long form, like, like a yeah. TV series. I always thought, which is why the No Ordinary Family with Michael Chiklis and Julie Bell I thought worked well because it the, the Fantastic Four have always felt like something that works better in a longer format like TV, like a season yeah, no, TV. I, I, I can see that. But um, but this film, like, it's got lots of elements I really like. Fantastic Four works really well. Like, the, the visual, the voice, the four together really work as well as they did in that first movie. The fantastic car. Like, there's a lot of good elements when you piece it all together. Like, and that runtime, I think, really, really does hurt it. Because like, a movie of this scale, there's no way Fox set out to make a 90 minute movie. So it clearly wasn't going the way that they wanted it to go. I, I don't know. I think it was incredibly. In the early 2000s, n- almost no movies ran two hours. It was super rare if it wasn't like a an Oscar nominated drama. I think all summer blockbusters hit about the hundred hundred minute mark, um, because 
they were almost making things to like an algorithm of like, here's the three beats to your movie. Here's where your climax hits. Here's like where like the twist happens. Like it was almost like literally a scientific formula that most movies were made to and were edited to fit into that that way everything was produced. So I don't think that hour and a half was it, worked I against saying it. Well, it, I, it. I think does, it worked against it for us, but I yeah, don't it think it seem... was something that they purposely went in and were like, you need to shave 20 it minutes out of this short. garbage. It runs too long. It, I think it was always supposed to run this long. I don't know. Us, just... Especially these days. I mean, how long was Endgame? Two, 2.45? Yeah, it's up there. I mean, I've just gone back and had a quick look. 2005 Electra, that was 90 minutes. Daredevil 2003, that was 100 minutes, 105 yeah. thereabouts. It's... Yeah, they would, they were, they were happy to keep it at an hour 45. If you went over that, they were pissed because at the time, focus group testings showed anything that ran two hours or more that wasn't Lord of the Rings was a death sentence. In fact, that was like a, a mark against King Kong back in the era of like, like Peter Jackson, can you please make a movie under three, two and a half hours? Thank you very much. And now I don't know how many movies come out that are over two and a half hours, but yeah. it's a way more normal now than it was at the time. Everything had to come out under an hour and 40. So I don't, but I do think it hurts it in the fact that I just there's feel, a lot more story yeah. here that they and haven't it's, hit. It's a sequel. Because of, they were so into that no, 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 no. It has to be summer blockbuster action movie. It has to be 90 minutes. You can't go much more by on that. But if we go back um, to 2000, X-Men 1, 1 hour 44. Yeah. Sequel, 2 hour 15. So you'd think, wow. building yeah. on what come with that first movie, I don't, it just, it seems, it seems short. And it's not just a sequel where the main characters are coming back to introducing Silver Surfer. It just feels like the, it could have been a bigger movie. Anyway, we're, we're wrapping up. I am going to come in a little bit lower than you, but not too much lower. I'm going to come in a three out of five. This movie is a recommend. It is a good time. And when it first came out, again, I was disappointed on the back of that first trailer. I thought there was going to be more to it. The runtime, even then, I thought, wow, this this is a lot shorter than what I was expecting. But the elements that we liked from that first movie are back here. And then we get an added Silver Surfer, a really bad interpretation of Galactus. But it works. It's a, it's a fun movie. So, yeah, three out of five. Well, that's it for our episode all about Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. <laughs>